Numbers chapter 11, the Bible says in verse number 1, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Now I just have to pause here and say, I wonder if they had to wear masks back then, <laughs> not because of COVID, but because of halitosis. But nevertheless, uh, I digress. Uh, I'll read verse 5 again. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof is the color of bellium. And the people went about and gathered it, and ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar, and baked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? that I Have I begotten them that they should say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom? And as a nurse... As a nursing father beareth a sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers, whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men, thou knowest, seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and the officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out at your nostrils, and be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? 
Lord, tonight I pray that you would help us to take the sense of what you have set before us and understand the lesson that we must draw from this epic moment in the life of your people as they wandered in the wilderness. And dear Lord, I pray that we might be moved away from wilderness, uh, wilderness wandering into the land of living by faith and that we might become victorious by faith. Use me now, I pray, Lord, for I ask this in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. I want to bring you a message tonight entitled, He's All I Need. He's All I Need. The children of Israel, as you know, had been delivered from captivity in Egypt. And as the Lord delivered them miraculously, Pharaoh's men pursued after them, as you know, and they came to the banks of the Red Sea, where after they had seen the miraculous deliverance of the Lord through the Passover and His releasing them from bondage in Egypt, now they are facing another tremendous obstacle. There is a sea in front of them, and there is a pursuing army behind them. And we know that the Lord delivered them supernaturally. From there we know that they made their way on to Sinai where God manifest Himself to them in all His unmitigated glory and holiness and delivered His will to them, His chosen people. From there on to Kadesh Barnea where they had a moment of decision and there having been given the opportunity to cross over Jordan and to go into Canaan's land. They chose to fail of faith in God and they turned back. and They found themselves in the wilderness of sin for the space of 40 years. This week I had the occasion to deliver a conference message in a virtual meeting uh, for some dear friends in Asia. And as I did, I brought out the fact that the Lord brought rain upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And as we have studied the Word of God, we learned that the number 40 in biblical numerology is indicative of the judgment of the Lord. And when the Lord exacted His judgment upon the people of God for their failure of faith and their unbelief in Him, what He gave them was 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that would cause an entire generation of people to die there in the wilderness. All those men above the age of 30 who failed of faith in the Lord would die in the wilderness saved too. And those two men were Joshua and Caleb who believed the testimony of the Lord and urged the people to cross over by faith. And so the people of God entered into this wilderness wandering and this time of judgment upon them where that and many of them would die in that wilderness. Forty years of judgment was upon them. What we find is that that wilderness wandering is much like those who linger in faithlessness in a wilderness land, as it were, in their walk with the Lord. And it's characterized by a restlessness going from one place to the next, from pillar to post, trying to find some measure of comfort and satisfaction in life. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. 
I enjoy going to men's camp every year. I love going uh, up into the high country, the cooler weather. I love the trees and the mountains. I love the, the, the rippling brook that is below the campsite where we are. I love waking up in the morning uh, to the smell of, of bacon that's crackling over an open fire. I love to hear the crackle of the fire and the smell of coffee uh, being made there in that cold morning mountain air. I just love that. I love waking up in the tent and uh, just pulling uh, uh, a fleece around my neck and just taking it all in, listening to all of the uh, the sounds of the forest and, and men uh, beginning to move about and prepare themselves for the day. I, I just love that. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think I could really enjoy um, wandering around and camping out for 40 years. I think I could maybe put up with it for, for uh, about four weeks, and then I would probably have enough of it for the next four years. I'm not sure, depending on uh, how comfortable I was in my cot and what kind of a mattress that I had and, and uh, what kind of surroundings it was, what the temperature was. But, you know, imagine that they moved from pillar to post, from one place to the next, as restless nomadic vagabonds, in the wilderness wandering. You know, I found that there are a lot of people that are that double-minded man, proverbially, for, proverbially, that we read of in the book of James. And they're unstable in all their ways. They're always looking for one more thing, going to this teacher and that conference, to this seminar and that book, to this new website, to this great sermon on YouTube, and thinking that somehow uh, this is going to be what helps to fulfill and satisfy me. The wilderness was characterized by a restlessness in their spirit. It was characterized by discontentment in their hearts. It seemed like wherever they were, whatever it was that God gave them in the moment, they enjoyed for a fleeting moment, and they become dissatisfied with what God had given to them. Furthermore, we find that the wilderness was characterized by looking back and longing, continuously looking back at Egypt and longing for all of the positive things that they somehow drew out of their slavery there. Think of that, that now they're breathing free. They they have some self-determination. God is leading them. And, and they are now autonomous once again. And they are afoot. And they are moving without constraint. They're not being beaten down. They're not being forced to labor for the Pharaoh. They're not being forced uh, to give their children into the service of the Pharaoh. They're, they don't have taskmasters over them. And so uh, they're free men. And free women, but rather than praising the Lord for their freedom and celebrating their freedom, they found themselves continually, con- continuously looking back and longing for the days of slavery. And there's something that we're going to, to see about that. And I, I think that oftentimes when people are saved out of a life of sin and they come out of the bondage of sin, Sometimes in carnally minded moments they look back and their memory really doesn't serve them very well. They kind of remember the past in sin as better than it really was. They want to remember living it up and living the Vita Loca with their friends and and, uh, getting liquored up and, and doing crazy things. But you know, they don't really remember the hangovers. They don't really remember the times where they woke up in a pool of their own vomit or that they 
that they wet themselves or soiled themselves or they made a fool of themselves and someone videotaped it and posted it to the internet. They, they really don't remember the pain that followed. Oftentimes they look back longingly and the fact is that our memory can deceive us at times when we look back longingly at the time and sin. And Egypt in the Bible is always a type of sin. But what we discover here is that God provided for their every need despite the fact that they were insolent little children. It's no wonder they were called the children of Israel because that's what they behaved like most of the time. Like little, insolent, complaining children. Constantly. Are we there yet? 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 I have to go to the bathroom. I have to go to the bathroom. He touched me. He took my things. Um, We're going to McDonald's again. I hate McDonald's. You know, can we go to Burger King? We always go to Burger King. Let's go to In-N-Out Burger. And, you know, that must have been what it was like for 40 years in the wilderness. I don't know about you. If that was me in the wilderness, God wouldn't have had to have killed me. After about 40 days of that, I might have thought about doing the job my own self if I had to put up with that unendingly. But here we find these insolent kids, and God is leading them along, and they're murmuring at every at every tree, it seems like, and every rock, and whenever God met their need, it wasn't quite good enough. But you know, they came to a moment in time where that they were hungry. And what we discover is that the Lord blessed them with the miracle of the manna. He blessed them with the miracle of the manna. The manna was called in another place of Scripture, Angel food, the, the food of the angels, was something that was considered a divine delicacy, and God provided it to them. And what we knew about manna from a study of God's Word was that it was not only good to them, it was good for them. It, it tasted good, and it was provided to them by God, and it was plenteous. They could take all that they could handle for a day, and every day, God bless them with that manna. Now, I want you to understand something, that whenever God gave them that manna, that every day they had to go out and gather it, only enough for that day. And of course, we find that on the day before the Sabbath rest, they were able to gather two days worth of manna, so that there was no gathering on the Sabbath day. And the Lord allowed that to last and to uh, be untainted and fresh for them for those two days. Now, if they gathered more than they needed for one day, they awakened in the morning to find that it had spoiled and that it was eaten by worms. The Lord wanted them to look to Him day by day to be their sustenance and to provide to them their daily bread. And they had to look to God, Jehovah Jireh, to be the one that would be their provider every day. As they complained to the Lord, it seemed like they were unhappy with everything. But God gave them this manna that was sufficient to sustain their life, and it was good to eat. You see, it was a picture of Jesus Himself, who later in John chapter 6, declared Himself to be the manna from heaven. That bread sent down from God. The Lord did a great miracle. And I will 
just share with you that when the people gathered the manna, it, it fell upon the ground of the camp, around the camp. And do you know what they had to do every day? They had to pick it up. It was in the size of little wafers. And you know what they had to do? They had to get down and they had to pick it up. They had to humble themselves before God even as we perhaps have to say, God, would you give me today my daily bread? They had to humble themselves and realize that this was from God to this earth for me. And with every time they picked it up, it was a reminder that God was providing for their need. That God was remembering them every day. God never forgot them. God never missed a day. Every day He provided for them and they had to kneel down and acknowledge by picking it up and humbling themselves before Him that God performed a great miracle every day by sustaining the life of more than a million people every day for 40 years. And it never ran out. There was always enough. Now, I don't know how much you've had people to your home for meals and you've hosted folks at your home. We've done a fair amount of that over the years. Sometimes when someone is coming to the house and someone else gets invited along the way, we think we'll just put a few more beans in the pot, we'll add another uh, cup of water to the, to the boiling pot, and we'll just stretch it out and make it work, it'll be enough. We'll send someone to the store, and sometimes even at that, you look at what's set out there, and you look at the number of people that have come to eat, and you think, I'm not sure how we're going to make it. And so typically what I would do as the host and Linda as the hostess was that we would wait until everyone else had been served first. And then we would take a modest or a token portion because there was not sufficient for everyone to eat and be filled. Now, that doesn't happen very much at our house and you can tell that by uh, this manly figure before you. But the fact is that my philosophy is whenever we're having folks over to eat, that too much is always better than not enough. And I know I'm getting a resounding amen right now, even though I cannot hear it. And uh, the fact of the matter is that there was never too much with God. There was always enough. There was never lack with God. He was always enough. And I'm going to tell you what, He's enough for me. He's enough for you. He gave the manna, the Bible tells, it, tells us this, that the people grew weary of this. You see, it was something that was good for them and, and good to them only for so long. Now, I remember when I was in Bible college, I was uh, still rather fond of fried chicken back then. And uh, I, I think that's a Baptist distinctive. I'm not sure, but I, I think it is. 
But anyway, I, I had a, a roommate in my dorm that, uh, that he got to me the job of the century. He landed a job working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I thought, man, I don't think he could get any better than that. I, it's a good thing they didn't hire me because I'd be eating up all the company profits on my break if they let me. And, uh, but, you know, this guy, he's like, man, score. I got the best job in the world. I'm working at KFC. And I'm thinking, man, do you get free food? I'll be by to visit, you know, and uh, bring some back to the dorm. And, uh, you know, uh, the guy, he went off to work. And, and you know, after a couple of weeks, uh, we're all sitting around together. And we had a minute. And I said, man, I got a great idea. And he's like, what? I said, let's go grab a bucket of chicken. And the guy's like, chicken? Ugh. I don't want to see another chicken as long as I live. He said, I can't get the smell of chicken out of my clothes. It's in my pores. It's coming out of every pore on my body. If I look at another chicken, I'm going to throw up. I'm like, well, you don't have to eat. <laughs> I'll eat yours, you know. And uh, and well, you eat some biscuits and some coleslaw, you know. But uh, I, I, I'm just I'm trying to rationalize this thing out. But you know, it seemed like the more that he got, the sicker he got of eating chicken. And you know, that's where the children of God came to, because not only do we notice the miracle of the manna, but we we find what followed that was the murmuring of the multitude the murmuring of the multitude what did they do well the bible tells us that the the people complained at tabra that's how we started this chapter they were murmuring and complaining they're again behaving as children right oh you're kidding we're going to mcdonald's again oh you know i have to go potty can we stop when are when are we going to get there are we there yet you know listen they weren't there until everybody above the age of 30 that didn't believe God died, okay? And I mean, I don't know how you tell that to kids and get them to understand it, you know? But, uh, but listen, uh, Johnny and Susie in the back of the wagon, they weren't too happy about this wandering. And you know what? Together with the rest of the people of God, they acted like little babies and they griped and complained to the Lord. And... Uh, it kind of reminds me about the, the, the old cleric who, who became a monastic monk. And as a monk, he decided that he was going to go to a, to a retreat at a remote monastery. And there he was going to take a vow of silence for three years. And so for three years, he would not speak. And he would go about his priestly duties. And at the end of every passing year, he would be allowed to speak only a few sentences before resuming his vow of silence. And after the first year, the keeper, the sexton at the monastery came to the monk who was there going about his priestly duties in absolute silence, speaking to no one for an entire year. And the keeper of the monastery said to the monk, well, do you have anything to say? And the monk looked at him and said, bed hard. Okay. 
The guy says, is that it? He's like, yep, yeah. he went about his duties. All right? <laughs> For the next year, he didn't speak another word. And after the passing of the second year, the keeper of the monastery came to him and said, well, monk, do you have anything that you would like to say? And he looked at him and said, feet cold. Then he went about his duties and he was there serving for another year. And finally the keeper of the monastery came to him and said, do you have anything you'd like to say? And the monk said, I quit. And the man said, well, it's just as well you've done nothing but complain since you've been here. <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is that some people, uh, when things are going well, they, they manage to find something to gripe about. Have you ever discovered that? And the truth today is this, that this mixed multitude was complaining. And I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them. That ought to tell us something when we start to griping and complaining, right? Now, uh, you know, one day, <laughs> you know, you'll be driving along, and the kids are griping in the back seat of the car, and you're saying, don't make me pull this car over, right? <laughs> How many of you have heard that growing up a time or two? You, you know, don't make me pull this car over, you know? There's a road, hey listen, there's a rest stop up there, it's called Tabra. Don't make me pull over in Tabra. And uh, the fire of God burnt among them. The fact is that they were murmuring and they were complaining. But what do we find about this season of murmuring and complaining against the Lord? It was occasion because they had failed to do as God had commanded upon leaving Egypt. They took with them some of the Egyptian people. And the fact was that they had intermarried, some of them, and they, they brought with them what the Bible calls the mixed multitude. There was enough of those people that came out of Egypt that had intermarried with the children of Israel that they constituted a multitude of people. There was a, a large number of them. And the Bible tells us in verse number 4 that the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting and the children of Israel also up. You see, these people that God said, don't bring with you, they brought, and they influenced God's people negatively to complain against the Lord. And so they wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? And then they remembered all their diet, all the Kentucky Fried Chicken, all of the uh, coleslaw, all of the mashed potatoes, all of the corn on the cob, all of the biscuits, they remembered all of that. No, they didn't. They said, we remember the fish, all right, the filet of fish from the McDonald's back there in Egypt. And we remember the, the melons and the cucumbers uh, at, at the sweet tomatoes that's now closed down because of COVID-19. And the leeks and the onions and the garlics, all right, uh, from uh, Olive Garden, which is open, praise the Lord. Okay, and but I, what I want to say to you is this, that... Look, they're looking back, remembering all these things that they had when they were slaves. 
and griping that they're not there. Do you remember how many times the children of Israel said, oh, God's brought us out here to the wilderness to kill us and our kids and all of our cattle and everything that we have. And, and, and they just griped and complained at the Lord. And, and they were not at all satisfied with God's provision. Do you know what they wanted? They wanted something that would be a sensory experience to them. Something that would just wow the taste buds was more important than God's life-giving provision. Now folks, I'm going to tell you something. That there are many people that would love to have an unending diet from Cold Stone ice cream, right? I rarely ever go into Cold Stone ice cream and get a small, unless my wife is leering at me. In which case, I have to eat, eat a small, small and then order another one when she's not looking. But uh, man, I tell you what, you, you go in that place and, and uh, you order one of those gotta have it, uh, big, uh, almost pint-sized uh, containers, and, and say, man, I want some sweet cream, or I want some oatmeal ice cream, or and, and then I want a whole bunch of caramel drizzled on that. I want, I want a double heaping portion of chocolate chip cookie dough all mixed inside of that. Mix it all up together and put it in there. And, uh, and man, that is so good that if you put it on your forehead, your, brain, your, your tongue would beat your brains out to get at it, all right? I mean, it would make a jackrabbit slap a hound dog. You know, that is just good. But I'm going to tell you something. If I had a steady diet of Cold Stone ice cream, next year I could have my own TV show, My 800-Pound Life. And then the following year, you could all come to my funeral, okay? Because look, it would not be what was good for me. But man, would it ever taste great? Would I ever enjoy it? You see what I'm saying? But that's not the stuff of life, you see. We must have uh, what God provides for us, that which gives us life. And sometimes uh, we, we just are not satisfied with the Lord and we think, I need my flesh to be stimulated. That's why there are a lot of people that will leave Bible preaching, Bible teaching, good, sound, solid, doctrinal churches. And what they do is they go to some church that's got this watered-down, weak-kneed, mealy-mouthed, preacher that doesn't know what he believes and he gives him, you know, three little ditties and puts pictures of kittens up on the screen and everybody, you know, uh, holds hands and sings kumbaya 14 times repetitively and, uh, and, 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 you know, then they go home and everybody feels so great about things. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. We don't need another sensory experience. We need that which sustains our life. And the Bible says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. We need what God provides us, not what we think will make us feel better. Today, I was sitting at the lunch table, and Cole, my grandson, came over and was tapping me on the leg. I said, hey, buddy. And he said, granddad, I need soda. And I said, what? He said, Granddad, I need soda. And I said, you don't need soda. You need juice, man, or you need water. He said, no, I need soda. And I said, well, go see Nana. 
<laughs> Maybe she'll give it to you. She was busy. I said, well, go, go see Aunt Phoebe. And Aunt Phoebe picked him up and said, you need juice, honey. You don't need soda. Well, do you know what? When you're three or, or when you're two years old going on three, you know what? You need soda. That's what you think. Well, you know what? Listen, if all he ever did was have soda, his teeth would fall out of his head. He'd have so many cavities. He'd gain weight. He'd be weak. He'd atrophy, and he'd look silly like his granddad sometimes. Uh, you know, listen, what I'm saying is that, look, sometimes what we want is not what we need. We're looking for the sensory experience. But what we must do is not cry out to God, give us flesh, because all there is in front of us is what God gave us. All there is in front of us is a picture of that which gives us life, the bread from heaven. That's all that we have in front of our eyes, and I'm sick of it. Just like my friend who worked at the KFC, and he got sick of work, eating chicken at work all of the time to the place where he said, if I have to look at another chicken again, I'm going to throw up. And the fact is that these people were not satisfied with that which God gave them that would sustain their life. They were looking for something that would satisfy the whim of their flesh. And so many in Christianity today are following after the mixed multitude and looking for a sensory experience rather than that which would ultimately sustain their life. And so I want you to know that when people who ought to know better, who God has provided for, find themselves dissatisfied with the provision of the Lord and they begin complaining about it to the place where God's appointed leaders are so discouraged that they despair of leadership and life altogether. It's a problem. So we notice not only the miracle of the manna and the murmuring of the multitude, but we notice the misery of Moses. Boy, he was sure miserable, wasn't he? And he began to take the burden of the people on himself. He allowed his life and his perspective on leadership to be entirely influenced by the negative opinions of those that were carnally minded and dissatisfied with what God had provided. And he became wretched in his spirit. Paul understood that wretchedness, the wretchedness of his flesh, when he cried out in, in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He understood the struggle of the flesh against the Spirit. But Moses cried out to the Lord and, and was a miserable man because he was trying to shoulder the burden of responsibility for the sustenance and care of these people by himself. And that was a job that God took upon his own shoulders. It wasn't Moses' job to play God. It wasn't Moses' gyra. It was Jehovah. Gyra. But he forgot that. You know what sometimes we do? We take the mantle of trying to fix everything that's wrong with everybody's life upon our own shoulders. And when they are not happy with the solutions we come up with, we get miserable. And the fact is, it's not your job to be the fixer in everybody's life. Sometimes what we need to do is take a step back and realize we're not sufficient for these things and determine to simply let God be God. 
Let him do as he will in the lives of others and simply trust him. You know, I find that there are times where my wife is talking to me and I, and I feel like being a man, which is what I am, um, you know, that somehow if she's telling me about a problem that I have a masculine responsibility to fix the problem. And I can come up with a lot of great solutions. But you know, I've discovered something. Every once in a while, she doesn't want me to try to sort out her sordid thoughts and try to be the fixer for everything that's wrong in her world. Sometimes she just wants me to listen. Sometimes she just wants me to try to understand. I don't have to be the junior Messiah in her life coming to the rescue of everything that's wrong. That's a responsibility that God gladly takes upon His own shoulders. And yet, how often do we do that? And when we do, we try to play God. We get so burdened down with care. And what we ultimately have happen is we become negatively influenced by all of the naysayers and complainers. They bring us down to the place where we despair of what God has called us to do. But Moses cried out to the Lord for the people, and the Lord determined that He would give them what they asked for. He would give them what they asked for. Much like my friend in college who said, God, would you give me a job? He prayed for a job so he could pay his school bill so that he could go through college and train to serve the Lord. And God answered his prayer. He gave him a job working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. But do you know what? It wasn't very long after he went to work there that he found that what God gave him, he wasn't really happy with. I think there's a number of lessons here that we need to be very careful what we ask the Lord for. I remember a time in the history of Israel where they cried out and they said, we would have a king to rule of us that we may be like all the other nations of the world, to have a king that would lead us out to battle and to rule over us. And they rejected the theocracy in having God to rule over them. And God sent Samuel, the prophet and priest in Israel, to tell them, listen, I'm going to give you what you ask for, but I want you to know that what you get is not what you think it's going to be. Because your sons will be put into the military, your daughters will be confectioners and handmaidens in the king's court, and, and you're going to have to, to, give, to pay taxes and give tithes and do homage, and your vineyards are going to be taken, and a portion of your fields and your cattle and your horses and all that you have will be taken by the king, and, and many of your sons will die in the field of battle, and all of these things... Uh, Samuel told them, and they said, we don't care, we will have a king to rule over us. Be careful about what you ask for, because we notice not only the miracle of the manna and the murmuring of the multitude, but the misery of Moses, but what followed that was the month of meat. The month of meat. When I was growing up as a kid, we weren't very wealthy. In fact, we were probably poor, only we didn't even realize it. That, that's how most poor people were. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, I, I remember wishing that I was like all the other kids in my class. 
and I had a super, that I could have a Superman or a Batman lunch pail, and uh, I, I never had a Superman or a Batman lunch pail. Um, I think my mom, maybe one day when I was like in the fifth grade, um, she bought a Robin, <laughs> a Robin lunch pail at Salvation Army, and uh, you know, brought it home was all scuffed up, but man, it had a superhero on it. Man, you know, I, I wasn't asking for Robin, Mom. You know, I, I would rather have Batman, right? Who wants Robin? Nobody, right? I mean. You want the Lone Ranger, you don't want Tonto, right? And uh, look, so I got the Robin thing, but that didn't last very long. I don't know if somebody stole it from me or something to match with their Batman one. I don't know. But uh, most of my growing up days, I took my lunch to school, yes, in a Wonder Bread sack. Now, I got to tell you something. Wonder Bread sacks for your lunch uh, on school days was the most uncool way to pack a lunch, in my opinion. It was right there neck and neck with taking the big paper sack. I'm not talking about the little lunch sacks. I'm talking about the big Safeway sack. You know, when they ask you paper or plastic, when they used to, back before we cared about the planet and we were trying to destroy it rapidly, you know, they asked you paper or plastic, they gave you the big paper bags, you remember those? And my mom, if it wasn't bad enough that I'm carrying a mega sack with a little tiny sandwich in it. You know, it's like, come on, Mom. You know, maybe I could just stick it in my pocket. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't bad enough, I'm bringing, carrying a big old honking Safeway sack or a Wonder Bread sack. My mom had to make a big smiley face on it and, you know, write a little love note on the side of the thing, you know. And how embarrassing is that when all your friends are reading your mom's love note on the Safeway sack? And, and I'm thinking, you know, listen, I'm carrying this big old honking sack. I got a little tiny sandwich in there. And, and listen, I'll tell you what it was most of the time. It was peanut butter and jelly. Now, a great peanut butter and jelly sandwich is one of the simple pleasures in life, is it not? Can I get a witness here? Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand over there. Okay, good. Oh, and, and listen, look, a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But listen, when I eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I have to have it a certain way. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm kind of persnickety about my PB&J. And uh, if I'm going to have a PB&J, I want to have crunchy peanut butter, okay? Because that's what real men eat is crunchy peanut butter on their PB&J. The other thing is, I don't want jelly on my PB&J. I want jam on my PB&J. I want something like boysenberry jam or raspberry jam or strawberry jam. Those are my three favorites to go with my crunchy peanut butter. Can I get a witness? Now, now we're, we're talking some religion. We're having some church up in here tonight. So look, that's how I preferred to have it. But sometimes, you know, mom, she wouldn't get Peter Pan or Skippy. It would be the Safeway brand or whatever it was that she got the generic creamy peanut butter. And Welch's grape jelly. All right, what a blessing. What a blessing, all right? So mom would make a sandwich. I don't know why it was, but it seemed like every day I carried a sandwich to school, why did I have to get the heel of the loaf every day? We didn't go through that much bread. 
I don't know if she was saving them up just to put in my lunch. I've had a complex all my life. I've been in counseling for 30 years because all I got was the stinking heels on my PB&J. And I didn't get crunchy peanut butter with jam. I got creamy peanut butter with Welch's grape jelly. Now look, my mom felt bad about the fact that all, that's all I typically had in my lunch. And it wasn't wrapped up in a Ziploc baggie. Nobody knew what a Ziploc baggie was when, when you were alive, did they? You know what we had? When I was that size, wax paper. Some of you are old enough to remember that. And uh, it would be wrapped up in wax paper. Occasionally, mom would put a little piece of scotch tape to, to keep it all wrapped up so it wouldn't come unraveled in the Wonder Bread sack or the big Safeway sack. And you know what? If we had them, it, she would put an apple or an orange in my lunch. Okay? Some of you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Okay, and so I'm carrying the big old honking sack with a love note from my mother from Safeway when I wanted a Batman or a Superman lunch pail or, or the Rifleman or something that would be cool, cooler than the Safeway sack or the Wonder Bread sack. And so I'm carrying that to lunch and I set it down and when the lunch bell rang and it was time to eat, I would go get my lunch and I would take my sandwich out and inevitably the apple or the orange was sitting smack dab on top of my sandwich. So the heel portion was fine, but I would turn my sandwich over when unwrapping the wax paper and there would be a big purple circle in the middle of my P, B, and J. Now folks, listen. I don't know about you, but I just have a hard time eating PB&J when it has a big purple circle on it. I, I mean, that, that's just me. And, 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 but you know what? Every day, day in and day out, I get PB&J, 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 PB&J. You know, listen, I got to the place where I'm like, I'm sick of this. But I was hungry, so I ate it. You, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I, and I choked it down, and I, I kept dreaming to myself, thinking, why can't I just sometime... <sighs> Have a bologna sandwich. I'd love a bologna sandwich. Why can't we just sometime have a tuna fish sandwich, all right? Uh, listen, where's, where's the star-kissed tuna when you need them? I, I'm just saying, look, I, I, I got to the place where I could really identify with the people of God. I, I, God. God was providing through my parents that which I needed that was good for me, and I was eating it day in and day out, and you know what? I should have been grateful for the fact that I had parents that cared and a mother that packed my lunch and, and wrote a love note on it and made us a smiley face and gave me a sack to put it in and I didn't have to put it in my back pocket. The fact was that they cared about me, but you know what? All I wanted to do was complain about what was provided. And you know what? The Lord answered their complaint. He let them have their way. And what they got was meat, flesh, isn't that interesting? They said, who shall give us flesh? They craved the flesh. And isn't that like those people that murmur at the Lord? They want to have their flesh satisfied rather than the Spirit ministered to. Listen to me, folks. God said, okay, if that's what you desire, I've created you a free moral agent. You've asked for it. I'm going to give it to you. So he did. For a month, they got the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Day in, 
day out. It wasn't Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was uh, Wilderness Fried Birds. <laughs> you see, the, Bi the Bible tells us that, that they had uh, flocks of birds. The Lord gave them to them. And they, they flew through the camp and they were able to harvest all of these birds. And the Bible tells us this. Moses said to the people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen. And thou hast said I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people, and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud, and spake unto him, and took of the Spirit that was upon him, and gave it to the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. The Bible says, But there remained two of the men in the camp, the name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written, but went not, went not out into the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses, and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men answered and said, My Lord, Moses forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake, would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. Moses gat him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. And there went forth a wind from the Lord, and brought quails from the sea, and let them fall by the camp, as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. You think of this. There's a, there's a pile of quail about a day's journey in every direction. There was more meat than they could have ever imagined to feed millions of people. And the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day and they gathered the quails. He that gathered least gathered ten omers and they spread them all around for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And He called the name of that place Kibrath Hatava, because there they buried the people that lusted. And the people journeyed from Kibrath Hatava unto Hazaroth and abode at Hazaroth. So God said, look, I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to have so much of it that you're going to get sick of it. You're going to eat quail every day for a month, morning, noon, and night, till it comes out your nostrils. Think of that. To the place where they were so sick of it, they wanted to vomit. And they did. And quail came out when they did. It was a month of meat. God gave them what they wanted, but what they got was not what satisfied them. And again, they kindled the anger of the Lord against them because of their complaining, their grumbling, and their failure to be satisfied with God as their leader. But notice with, you, with me, if you would, please, finally, the message of the Master. You say, why is this also consequential, Pastor? It's because what they were rejecting, really, was the hand of God. 
They were biting the hand that was feeding them. They were angry that they didn't get to be the Lord over themselves and the Lord that was over them, they felt, wasn't doing a good enough job. The fact is that later on, as we mentioned earlier in our message, that, that Jesus, in John chapter 6, declared Himself to be the manna from heaven. That bread that was sent down from God. And even then, that was a type of their Messiah that was to come. To be that which would sustain their lives and to be enough for them. And what would happen is the bread from heaven would come to them and what would they do? Once again, as before, they would not be satisfied with Jesus. And they rejected Him as their Messiah. But my friend, despite the fact that they rejected God's provision to them, He is still enough for them. He still longs after them. And He's still good to them. He is enough. Do you know, C.S. Lewis said, He who has God and many other things has no more than he who has God alone. Sometimes we think we need this and we need that because what God has given us is not enough. But the reality is that God was always enough for them. And He's enough for me. He's all we need. We don't need the flesh. We need the bread from heaven. Who then would offer His flesh in sacrifice to be smitten for us. And my friends, when you come to the place that He is all that you want, you will discover He's all that you really need. When you come to the place that He's all that you want, you will discover that He's all that you really need. Father, today help us. Lord, we need You. And may we cry out from a sincere heart that You are all that we need. Lord God, please, deliver us from a critical and complaining spirit and help us to simply be satisfied with Jesus. I want to say thank you for listening tonight. I've had a good time sharing the truth of God with you. Would to God we would all be satisfied with Jesus. For it is true, as I mentioned, that he who has God and many other things has no more than he who has God alone. Because he's enough. He's always enough. Might it be the cry of our hearts that, Lord God, you're all I need. You're all I want. And if we would come to that place, he would fill you up every day. Even as he did his children who are so insolent. 
May the truth of this settle in our hearts and may we learn the lesson of it. Just for a moment, I want to talk to someone tonight that may be watching or listening that is not certain that if they died tonight that they would spend forever in heaven with God. Not sure that their sins are forgiven. And if that's you, I want you to listen very carefully for the next few moments. Because I want to share with you the most important message that perhaps you could ever hear. And that is this. It's called the gospel. It is the good news. And the good news is that Jesus loves you and wants to spend forever in heaven with you. But in order for that to become reality, there are certain things we must understand and confess. First of all, we must believe what the Bible says about us, and that that is that we are sinners. All of us are imperfect creatures. The Bible says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. From there it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners, and we we fall short of God's standard for heaven, which is perfection. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, try your hardest and hope for the best. Nowhere does it say that there's going to be a scale in heaven and that if your good works outweigh your bad, that God will let you in. No, the Bible does say that God is above all holy, and that is what characterizes Him as glorious. And we fall short of perfection. And a perfect and a holy God cannot accept less than perfect and holy. And so if there's even one sin offense in our life, we miss the mark. But my friends, even if we could go through our life and change our behavior, we still have a fundamental problem because we have been born into sin. All of us are the descendants of Adam who Jesus created. And when Adam sinned against God, we inherited a sinful nature. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That we deserve to die and go to a devil's hell to pay the price for our sin. But the good news is this, that Jesus loved us so much. And it tells us this in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We deserve to die and go to hell and pay for our sin. But Jesus said, wait, I love them so much. I'll take their punishment in my own body and I'll die for them on the cross of Calvary so that they could be forgiven of every sin and allowed to have a home in heaven forever with me. And so Jesus paid the price so that you might go free. What we deserve is the wages of sin, death and hell. But the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He offers us a gift purchased with blood that we could never earn or deserve. It is eternal life in heaven with God through the forgiveness of sins. And my friends, all we need to do is believe that that gift, the gift of God, purchased with the blood of Jesus is the only hope that we have. And when we believe that, and we receive His gift by faith, believing that He will give it to us. He has promised to save us. For the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you or I ask the Lord in faith believing to save us, because we cannot save ourselves, our sin 
has relegated us to hell, but Jesus loved us so much that he died to pay the price for our sin and now offers us forgiveness and a home in heaven if we simply ask him for it. If you believe that tonight, he wants to give it to you. If we ask him in prayer believing, it will be ours. And my friend, in a moment, I'm going to lead in a prayer. We often call it the sinner's prayer. Now, my prayer will never save you because there are no magic words. But if this prayer reflects the desire of your heart, pray it from your own heart believing, and it will be your prayer to God, not mine for you. And God has promised that He would save you. If you know that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself, you know that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to offer you life as a gift through the forgiveness of sins. Ask Him for it tonight, right now, as I pray. Pray together with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me forever so that I may spend eternity in heaven with Him. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and take me to heaven. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for thee. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, tonight if you prayed that prayer believing on the authority of God's word, you are saved. Heaven is yours forever. God knows that tomorrow we'll not be perfect creatures. He's begun a work in us that he will be very faithful to continue on until we see him but he'll pay the price he paid the price for every sin you would ever commit when you were when he was on the cross you were not even born yet he paid for every sin in advance and so when he saves you he gives you everlasting life it never ends and he'll never take from you that which he has given to you freely and so today praise the lord you have received eternal life everlasting life i want to invite you if you would to find us on the web, go to freewaybaptist.org and send us an email and tell us about your decision. We'll send you a beautiful Bible of your own and information that will help you grow in your newfound life in Jesus Christ. And thank you again for choosing to join with us. And it's our prayer that the Lord would continue to reveal Himself to you in many great and small ways in the days that lie in front of us.